Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am super excited to have Dr. Renetta Moon back on our podcast, on our midweek podcast. And um, she's going to be talking about medical education. Um, she'll be talking about, and I'll be adding a little things about uh, my pharmacy education too, but just how our medical education, pharmacy education in general is, is a little bit skewed. And I can speak for myself on this is that I will tell you this, after the last three years over the things that have happened, I question my entire pharmacy education. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think we should all question things and we should educate ourselves and not just believe what we are told. So uh, Dr. Moon, without further ado, welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and introduce yourself the second time on our podcast. Introduce yourself, where you went to school and um, how we got to know each other and uh, through this whole uh, COVID thing. Yeah. So I um, I have to start with my disclaimer. I know it's in writing, but I need to state that my views and experiences are my own, and I'm not here representing any employer, any uh, entity other than myself. So I graduated from Washington University in St. Louis from the School of Medicine. It was a, it's a tough medical school to get into. And, uh, I, you know, I thought we had a really great education there. And I've practiced for the last uh, 20 plus years as a pediatrician. But what I've seen happening in the last, I would say, three to six years of education and in the world of medical care has really alarmed me. And so I've been speaking out. Uh, my background is that my family fled from communism. Uh, so my parents both were you know, politically persecuted in the communist country that they fled from. And I was born here in America, first, first generation right here in the Northwest. So I, I was warned about the things that could happen from my, my parents because they saw it firsthand. And uh, when I began to see those same things happening in the world of medical education that I've been involved with for over 20 years all throughout my career, and when I began to see those things happening in our medical clinics and in the hospitals, it obviously really alarmed me uh, because the parallels are there. It's, it's the same type of system coming in. So can you give us some examples of what, what are some things that are parallel in our system that would be parallel to, to communism and what your parents yeah. fled from? Yeah. So the biggest issue right now is our loss of freedom of speech. We have lost our ability to have free discussions with students uh, throughout throughout our, our colleges and our medical schools and our law schools in, in America. We, we actually don't have free speech any longer. And to give you an example of that, I, first of all, I need to st state that I, uh, I've actually taught for a number of medical schools over the course of my career. So I'm not implicating any one medical school in what I say. It's, it's, it's irrelevant where my experiences were. What, what matters is that this is happening nationwide. But faculty are actually being pulled from teaching for sharing different perspectives that our students don't want to hear. And uh, that has really limited our ability to have discussions, our ability to, to dissect a problem or a situation and to help students see different perspectives. So, so to give you an example from my own experience, uh, at some point in the past, uh, I was actually pulled from my teaching and was investigated uh, by my school. Now, let me, let me 
set the stage for this. I've taught for my entire career. You know, sometimes there are students that don't like you, but for the most part, my evaluations from students have always been good. If I, you know, they, they give us scores and I'm usually a 4.5 or a 4.6 out of five being the total. So they're solid, good scores from the students. And I don't yell at people. I don't berate them. I don't tell them how to think. I just, um, when I'm in discussion groups, feel that they should have the ability to talk about different perspectives and different viewpoints. And so I actually, at some point in the fairly recent past, was pulled from my teaching and investigated after students complained that I had, um, during a discussion that we were having on racism, I didn't pick the topic, the school picked the topic, uh, but I paraphrased Dr. Martin Luther King in a discussion that we were having on racism. And my students, that was one of the complaints against me to the chairman was that they had found that viewpoint to be uh, traumatic and harmful to them and they didn't feel safe uh, because it deviated from the one mainstream narrative that, that we all know is out there. Uh, so this ability to have discussions uh, has been lost in, in many cases. This is happening nationwide. Uh, they also complained about me uh, because we were socializing and my students asked me what I thought of the COVID-19 shot. And this was, this was before it rolled out. This was in December of 20, um, would have been 2020. And I didn't actually know much about it. I certainly wasn't right, lecturing yeah. about the shot. It was new. But they, uh, it was new. It was brand new. And my students were socializing with me and they asked me, hey, what do you think? So I answered them like I would a colleague. Now, these are medical students. Uh, they're just a few years from being your physicians. And, and so I talked to them like I would a colleague. I said, you know, it's really slick technology. I hope it works. But I've, I was always taught not to be the first and not to be the last to jump on a new product in terms of using it. So I said, I began to do some critical thinking with them. I said, you know, what's the bio distribution of this? When they put it in your arm, where does it go in your body? Uh, could it cause rheumatologic problems? Could it cause immune problems? Could it cause cancer? You know, we were just kind of thinking out loud. That was the next complaint my students had against me was that I had told them that the product might not be 100% safe. And they okay. found that to be traumatic and harmful to them. And again, they didn't feel safe. So we have this idea going now nationwide that students, A, have to feel safe. And by safe, they define that as anything. They don't want to hear anything that deviates from what they've been told. They don't want to critically think. Uh, and they don't want to hear things that might conflict with what the mainstream narrative is that is being pushed. Two, my point would be that nothing is 100% safe. Aspirin is not 100%. You know that better than all of us. So we really were, we spent five to eight minutes just having a, what I thought was a critical thinking type discussion that I certainly grew up with in my training, question everything. That's our role, question everything before we inject it into uh, our patients. And they just didn't tolerate that. So, um, and then there was a third complaint against me and that had to do with what my students again were socializing with me and they said, hey, how has your week been in clinic? I was seeing my pediatric patients in clinic. And I said to them, like I would a colleague, I said, it's been terrible. I said, we are seeing so many children, teenagers, whose mental health is just devastated 
by the social distancing and isolation measures that we have in place. And this was in early 2021. I said, you know, what are we doing? You know, we know these kids are, are really fine from the virus. I mean, they might be hospitalized, but in terms of a fatality risk, it's really essentially zero. They really don't have any risk of dying from COVID. And so why are we isolating them and doing this? We need to be rethinking this. We need to talk to CDC, FDA. We need to rethink what we're doing because at this point, what I see is that we're harming their mental health far, far more than anything we're doing to help them. And so it was a very brief conversation. My students asked my opinion. I gave it to them. And again, we were socializing. They, again, complained about that. And they had been traumatized and harmed by my thinking outside the box of what they were being told to do by, by the um, regulatory agencies. And so my point is this. How can we teach students when professors are being pulled from teaching because there is a viewpoint that's, that's being presented that they don't want to hear, that they don't like hearing. How can we teach if we're only teaching what the students want to hear? And I, these are wonderful students. I really have, you know, I, I do, I, I love my students. They're great people. They're being cheated of an education where they're able to use their critical thinking skills and where they're able to uh, really uh, dig deeper into topics because they're so restricted by this, this lack of free speech that we have. And, and how does that compare with what my parents experienced? I was pulled from my teaching for that, for those three complaints against me. I never saw my students again, those, those particular students. I was investigated for student mistreatment, for just for simply sharing different points of view. I didn't tell them how to think. I just told them that there are different perspectives out there in discussion groups. I was pulled from my teaching. Ultimately, the decision was that I must be a racist. And I told them, I said, look, my family fled from political persecution. I am not a racist. I have, my dad was born in Buenos Aires. My mom was born in Prague. I, they fled from political persecution. I speak three languages. I, I'm simply doing what you asked me to do, which is to speak to students about differing points of view. And yet you've pulled me from my teaching, you've purged me from the, the school. And this is exactly what my family went through. My mom watched professors being purged from her college under communism. The professor that she tells me about was in an adjacent room. They didn't know that she was in the other room listening. And they came for him while she was in the other room. She heard the whole conversation, they being the administrators, they came for him. And they told him while she was listening, eavesdropping, hiding in the other room, they told him, you have been teaching genetics. That is not allowed. You cannot do that. And off they went. She never saw him again. You know, this is, these are really chilling parallels with what uh, has happened in history past, where you start to purge people for having, you know, views or sharing views that are outside of whatever narrative is being promoted and pushed. And so we're seeing that right now in our in our colleges, we're seeing that in our world of medical education, and we're seeing that in law schools. Uh, this, this doesn't end in a good place if we are teaching students not to critically think and to simply be mouthpieces for the pharmaceutical uh, industry and for the other uh, you know, industries that have a, a role in uh, the corruption and the uh, the issues that we're seeing today. 
Yeah, I, I can't agree more. And I, I got to tell a quick story about a doctor we interviewed a few years ago, um, Dr. Raul Garcia. And he fled communism when he was in elementary school. Yeah. And he sees so many parallels. And some of the some of the stories he, t- he tells you about, his mom was a teacher. His mom was a teacher and also a nurse, yeah. and they they took both of her light their light her licenses and and um, some of the indoctrination that was going on inside the schools was just incredible. You almost wouldn't believe it, except you heard it, and then you realize that it's what's happening here, you know. And basically, the critical thinking is. You know, whether your opinion was when you were telling your students, whether your opinion was right or wrong, I think the most important part is, especially as a doctor or a soon-to-be doctor, you need to decide what's right or wrong. And so if somebody has a different opinion, that should be okay. Um, and, and, And I tell you, whether it's pharmacists or whether it's doctors out there, critical thinking skills are gone with new graduates for the most part. Yeah. They And I think it's by design. I want, I want your opinion on this. But yeah. when you think about over the last 20 years, what's happened with medicine, it, it's basically become cookbook. It's not really an art anymore. You follow an algorithm. It's called standard of care. There's some other buzzwords there too. And you have a little chart where a little chart where this, that, this, that, this, that. You don't use your your brain to figure out, well, what's really going on with the patient? No critical thinking. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? I, I fully agree. I, again, I've been I've been both in the world of medical education but and also a practicing physician for this entire for my whole career. And what I've seen happening these last, I would say the last six years especially, has been particularly chilling. We are sinking deeper and deeper into this this idea that our students are are going to graduate and no longer really be the physicians that we were used to seeing, that we're critically thinking and we're doing the things that were in the best interest of the patient in front of them. They're being trained to be really mouthpieces for for these these, patients. you know, pharmacies, pharmaceutical companies, tech companies, and follow protocols without questioning. You know, I was super careful in that discussion that we were having on racism. I I know what the environment is like right now, right? I I was very, very careful with what words I used and what I said, and yet this still happened. And what I what I felt, I'm, I wasn't telling my students they have to think a certain way at all. Their their grades were fine. This wasn't, you know, obviously if I had done that, that would be wrong. I was just simply sharing that there's differing perspectives out there, and they just didn't tolerate hearing those, which which to me is chilling because, you know, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, is an iconic figure in American history. Certainly, having a discussion about his uh, perspectives is important in any discussion on racism, at least to mention it. And yet that whole discussion up until that point, his perspectives were not once mentioned. And I felt it was important for the students to hear that perspective, just from the simple viewpoint that or idea that many of their patients will have, you know, will have heard that as they grew up and will have been raised that way. So this is not about my viewpoint. This is about the fact that it's a massively big viewpoint that exists in America. And we need to have physicians who are tolerant of hearing other people's perspectives, really understand where those people are coming from. Those people will be their patients. You know, we we need to have people who are tolerant of that. And 
uh, I'm afraid that when we curtail discussions like this, we're not teaching them to be tolerant. We're teaching, you know, those students who complained about me and who, you know, they did this anonymously, first of all. None of them did this to my face, they had a discussion with me. And these are adults. We could have a conversation. It would have been great had the school had a mediation session where we all sat down and hashed through this, but that didn't happen. I simply was disappeared. I was told I couldn't speak to any other students until the investigation was done. The investigation, when they had one, involved only speaking with students who alleged that they had been harmed by the differing perspectives. They never spoke to the students who didn't complain about me. And how do I know that? Those students that didn't complain were reaching out to me with emails. Are you okay? Where did you go? You know, we miss you. And I couldn't I couldn't respond to their emails because I'd been instructed not to. So it wasn't even an investigation. I mean, what? So the students, though, that complained were taught. If there is somebody that you don't like, that they've shared a perspective that you don't like, even if it's a professor of medicine, you just hit the block button with your school and poof, they disappear. And wow. that's, you know, they've been trained. I think our, our, our students are all of them. Our young people have been trained to block different points of view on their social media apps. That's how this whole thing started. They were trained that if someone, you know, came came through with an opinion that they didn't like, they would just hit the block button. And it was easy. They didn't have to have any messy contact with that person. They didn't have to engage in discussion. That person would just disappear. And that's what is happening with professors nationwide. That's what's happening in our colleges. It, this is this is everywhere right now. Yeah, I, I love that analogy, Doctor Moon. They, they they they've grown up in social media just blocking people when they don't like what their view is, and really, there's really no conflict resolution there. Just like you oh. talked about, there was no mediation with you in front of the students. There, there there was none of that. They just they just essentially blocked you. Now, let's yeah. move. Let's move that on when they're when they're a clinician and they're a practicing physician and a patient asks them a serious question um, about a, a about a disease or a clinical diagnosis or a side effect of a drug and they don't like that answer, what do they do? I mean, if they're used yeah. to blocking people, that's I, I right. Mean, that's right. And I again I, I have loved teaching. I love my students, they're good people. They are being cheated of an education that is truly a well-rounded, excellent education. They're being cheated of it. And more importantly, their future patients are being cheated of a physician that is well-rounded and able to have discussions without immediately feeling unsafe or traumatized. Uh, you know, that's that's a huge problem, right? And what I see playing out in the world right now is that I'm in the world of pediatrics. There are so many patients reaching out to those of us who are speaking out about all this because they've been fired from their practices. They've been fired because they've had different plans for the health care of their children and the clinics have fired them. They've lost their clinics. We have physicians now who without, and again, this is coming from administrators and from the hospital arena too. So I fully realize it's not just the physicians but where you've heard you've heard these stories we have physicians that have been denied sorry patients who have been denied solid organ transplants because they won't just listen to what the doctor tells them they have to do in cases where it's really 
you know, there's so many places in the world of medicine are gray, right? There, it's not black and white, it's gray. You know, do you choose to take this product? Do you choose to have an, an infusion of this medication? You know, which path do you take? The patients really need to be able to help guide that. It's their body, ultimately. It's their healthcare, right? We're, we're our role as physicians is here to help them facilitate this. But increasingly, we're seeing that the role of a physician has changed from being there as someone who gives medical advice to their patients and helps them, helps guide them to the best outcome. It's increasingly turning into a world where we um, force patients to do things that that we say they must do or else, or else we will, we will fire you from the clinic or else you will not get a solid organ transplant or else you will not be able to have, you know, this procedure happen. How chilling is is that? We're going down a very, very dark path. And, you know, my analogy is like, you know, if you're in a car and the car starts to veer towards the cliff, of course you have to grab the wheel and you have to correct the course that you're on and you have to get back on the road before you fall off the cliff. We are we are so close to being off the cliff that it's, it, I never imagined I would see the things I've seen and heard the things I've heard. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hear you. Me too. Um, it's it's so surprising. I mean, my, my wife and I have, you know, we've owned our pharmacy for 25 years now. I've been in practice for almost 30. And the last 10, we, we've seen the corruption, you know, 20 years ago, uh, yeah. but it wasn't near as bad. And, and the way it's going now, it is almost unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just a little story on pedi- pedi- pediatrics. Um, yeah. You know, I remember talking to uh, friends, family, patients, you know, five years ago. So before the whole COVID thing. Mm-hmm. And and I can't believe the way mothers were treated when they would refuse vaccination and, and just generic vaccination. I'm not even talking about any specifics when they would refuse vaccinations for their kids. Some pediatricians were so rude to those to those mothers. It, it's, it's unreal. And like you say, where where does that stop? Um, you could look at like, well, you know, vaccines are safe. They've been around for, for years. But what's next? What What is the next treatment they are going to make somebody do? Well, now we look at what happened with COVID. And now we look post post and seeing the side effects from, from that. And um, it is still being pushed. Um, but we could go on and on about other therapies like that. I mean, one that we see all the time, um, even though we don't believe in it, um, and we try to educate people about it, are, are, are cholesterol and statins. Um, and, and I do believe it's been pushed by drug companies. You know, give a number, just just give a number, cholesterol 200. Okay, if your cholesterol is 200, you're fine. If it's 201, you need a statin. Mm-hmm. Do not bother looking at the other people at at the other risk factors of the patient don't bother that at all this is what standard of care is as a cardiologist this is what we're told to do this is what you're going to do and it's like that's that's just unreal to me i mean yeah yeah Our, our medical system has fully been our regulatory agencies have been captured by these pharmaceutical and tech companies we have the biggest most massive conflict of interest out there right now and and it's we can't talk about it. It's 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 taboo in the in the world. I I look back at when my education finished and I came out of training. And I, I want to be clear. I, I have been a supporter of traditional childhood vaccines for my entire career. 
I have never been what you know people would call anti-vax. And I just want to pocket that off for a second because now we morph into this brand new platform a shot, this really genetic shot, the COVID-19 shot, brand new platform, never been used in human beings before, this mRNA product. And this pediatrician, along with countless thousands of physicians around the world, had questions. How safe is this product for our nation's children? I was doing what I'm supposed to do. I had questions. How safe is this product? And for simply asking that question, how safe is this product? I have had my employers coming after me. I've had employers that have threatened my license. I have employers that have reported me. I have a memo recently from one of my employers that states that it is their ethical obligation to report the fact that I spoke about my concerns, about my safety concerns at the Senator Johnson roundtable discussion in December of 2022, just, you know, just a few months ago. I spoke publicly at his roundtable discussion about my safety concerns. And this employer has now sent me a memo saying that it's their ethical obligation to report me to the medical commission. What does that mean? That means they are reporting me because it's their ethical obligation to lose my license. That's what they're after is to cost me my license because I asked the question, how safe are these products? I would love it if we were wrong. I would love it if the data was wrong. This is not about my opinion. This is about data and scientific evidence. We need to have a sit-down discussion with all of us who are practicing physicians who have concerns, with the other uh, physicians who seem to think it's completely safe and effective, and we need to have an open dialogue about this. And instead of doing that, instead of doing what has to happen in science, which is an open discussion and dialogue. Instead, we are all being threatened. Physicians have lost their licenses. I have personally been threatened, again, in, in other ways besides the one I'm telling you about with the memo. And simply for asking the question, how safe is this product? They want us to be quiet. They want us to simply give the product and be quiet. Don't say anything. Yeah. Well, and you know, you alluded to it a little bit with safe and effective, but it's not just about safety. I mean, obviously that's very important, but yeah. let, let's talk about effectiveness. How effective is it? We need to look right. at those things as, as a practitioner. We need to look at those things. And then also, um, what is the risk with your population, especially as yeah. a pediatrician? I mean, I, I mean, I, I really, you know, when you when you look at the numbers of pediatrics that have been affected by COVID nineteen, um, I don't think there's really been truly any deaths from pediatrics from a primary COVID nineteen, um, and I really kind of wonder how many how many um, pediatrics actually got very sick from COVID nineteen. I mean, you would. Yeah, know I mean, that kids too. were sick, hospitalized, just like any other virus. You can become yeah. sick from COVID and be hospitalized, but it's, it's, it's rare. The majority of kids, you know, I saw so many kids with COVID and they were all really pretty, not that symptomatic. They had the sniffles, they had a slight cough. That yeah. was it. Some of course were hospitalized with more serious illnesses. But the, the question though to ask is, does the shot prevent you from being hospitalized? Does the shot prevent that? And I watched the FDA hearings. I, I looked through the, the data that they have and I don't have to even say what my opinion is about that. What I have to say is that their lead, one of their lead physicians in the FDA hearing, I believe it was the FDA hearing, uh, Dr. Eric Rubin, 
who is the head of the, at least he was, I don't know if he still is, the head of the New England Journal of Medicine, you know, I'm watching the video and I'm yelling at my computer. I'm like, you don't have the data. You don't have the data in children. And he actually said openly, publicly, we don't have the data. So we'll just have to roll it out and see what happens. I mean, you'd have to look at his exact quote. I'm paraphrasing. But that's what he said. That's what he said. These are our nation's children. We, I have every, not only the right to ask how safe this is, but I have the professional obligation to ask. And instead, they're coming after my license for doing that. You know, again, this has happened to so many physicians around our nation and around, uh, uh, around the world who have spoken out. This is just so wrong. And so those, those parallels with what my parents experienced. My mom was uh, a student in, um, in the schools, in the school system when she was obviously younger and she uh, under communism. And she remembers they lined up the children in her school all in a row. And they would inject them with whatever they were injecting them with. The government would do that. There was no parental consent. There was no parental notification even. She remembers the time where she came home and there was an infection in the area. And her parents were like, I wonder what they gave you. And this happened not just once, but repetitively. You know, people may think, okay, you're overreacting. This is not going to happen in America. It is already going down the path of... Parents losing their rights. I, practicing in Washington State had, this is one example. I had a nurse in my clinic bring me a chart and she said the school nurse called and she wants to change this anticonvulsant medication for this patient. And I looked at the patient and I knew the patient well and I, I didn't disagree with the school nurse. We could change the medication. But I looked at my nurse and I said, where's the parent in all this? Why is the school nurse calling me to change a child's medication? Why... And my nurse looked at me like I was like I had five heads. And she said, well, because the school nurse thinks it should be changed. I said, no, no, that's not how this works. The parent is the one who decides, like, have we lost our minds? We are slipping down. We're not just slipping down a slope. We are sliding down a cliff of losing parental rights to make these decisions. And uh, that should terrify all of us. And my mom saw that under communism, the communist totalitarian type system. Yeah. Yeah. So we do have a question from one of our loyal viewers, um, Lee mm-hmm. Pence. Good morning, Lee. Did the employer cite to the specific ethic ethic obligation? Was yes, they cited the. There was a letter that we received from the Federation of State Medical uh, Boards. I think is what it's called, Federation of State Medical Boards, and we all received that early in the course of the COVID pandemic, and it basically said that any physician caught giving out misinformation would risk losing their license. Now, the obvious question is, what is misinformation? Right. Science is constantly fluid. It's, it's you know, there's so many areas of gray, and especially with a brand new product coming out, how could you ever think that you know everything about any product? Aspirin, for example, when it first, you know, right, how could you think you know everything about it? So what is misinformation? My, my employer cited that letter, that, that instruction from the Federation of, of State uh, Medical Boards I think that's what it's called, Federation of State Medical Boards. I'd have to look, but they cited that as being their ethical obligation because they had been, which really is not an ethical obligation, right? It's them following the instructions of, so I, I looked at the memo and I kind of chuckled because I'm like, it's kind of weak. Reporting me, they're <laughs> reporting me to the, it's not even an ethical thing. It's just, they're saying this agency told us to, to rat out anybody who had different opinions. So we're going to rat you out. And I looked at the memo and I thought, 
wow, they're reporting me to the ministry of truth. I mean, they didn't use the words ministry of truth. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> that's what they're doing. How how scary is this? How this this reminds me of what I read about in history books in under Stalin and Mao. And this is yeah. history repeating itself. And you know, I want to point out also that what the conversation I had had at the Senator uh, Johnson's roundtable discussion went worldwide. This wasn't yeah. something that was held, you know, secretly in a back alley. This was a public testimony. So the fact that I said the things I said were already part of public knowledge. So them reporting me, how, how does that help? Anything? What's the point of that? It was already public. I wasn't hiding my my opinions about this. This was something that was that had already gone worldwide. So this was a threat. This is a threat against my life. It's a direct yeah. threat. You be quiet or else. Yeah. What it is, Dr. Moon, in my opinion, is it's it's fear mongering. They're yes. trying to fear you into not speaking your mind. And 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 believe me, it's worked for most healthcare professionals. Um, yeah. I have pharmacist colleagues. They do not agree with the whole narrative at all, but they don't want to lose their jobs or their license, so they just don't speak out. So there's there's only a few of us like 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 you and I that are willing to speak out and risk and risk um, you know the repercussions. Now, the fortunate part of that is is that all those people that are not willing to speak out, we're speaking out for all of them. Whether they sure. believe in our opinions or whether they agree with our opinions or not, we're speaking for all of them. Because I just believe in, I believe in um, individual liberty and individual freedom of speech. And um, yeah. we should be able to make our educated decisions on what we put or do with our bodies. And um, our physician should be the same. Um, our physician should be freely be able to tell us and to speak what their opinion is. And that's why we should pick our physician. We don't want, I don't want somebody that is just following a narrative or a guideline. I want a physician that is thinking critically. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I would say uh, that there are actually a number of us speaking out. And I would say that for each of us speaking out, Every time they come after one of us, we need a hundred more to rise. We need a thousand more to rise. We need 10,000 more to rise. We are not any different than you and the public. We need you to rise and to support us. I have been very careful. I have not named any employers. I've had multiple employers, so it's easy to keep that hidden. Uh, but I, I am not shy about sharing what is happening to me because what is happening to me is happening to many other physicians right now, many other, you know, like you said, pharmacists and other other uh, professionals. And where does this end? Ultimately, this is about the freedom of each and every one of us. This is not about me. This is about your freedom. This is, they're coming after all of us. Where does this end? If you have a system now that is falling into place where your students are being trained to follow protocols and don't critically think, and they're scared to step outside the boundaries by, by critically thinking and, and losing their, if they're scared, and we continue down this path, what will they inject us with next? What what did they give my mother as a, as a young child? She, I mean, clearly survived. She's in her 80s now. But what if what if the next product is even more dangerous than what is currently uh, uh, available? What if? What does that world look like when no one has the ability to say, hey, there's a safety problem with this? Because... And the analogy I give is that of a pilot in an airplane. If you're getting on a plane and your pilot says, you know, there's something wrong with the engine and the landing wheel is off, off, off you know, kilter, it's, something's wrong with the landing wheel, 
you don't fire the pilot. You go check out the plane, right? right? If you no longer have checks and balances in place from physicians and other people, other professionals, from our nurses, from our pharmacists, saying, wait a minute, something is really wrong here. If you no longer have those safety measures in place, what does that world look like for all of us? Everyone needs to be speaking out really loudly right now. I, I would ask the viewer, we need, we need letters sent to your congressman. We need letters sent to your elected representatives. We need to make some noise. We need the schools to hear that, you know, they're going to tell you, oh, well, we're teaching a well-rounded education. They're not. They're not. Nationwide, they are not. They have all fallen into line with this, and they need to hear from the public. Ultimately, these are your schools. Many of them are not private schools. Many of them are public schools. Your taxpayer dollars are helping fund the education of these future uh, uh, professionals, and that the schools need to hear from you. This is not okay. It's not okay to silence professors. It's not okay to uh, to to keep us from having these safety measures in place by by coming after people's licenses. Yeah. Well, and it's all part of the plan when you look at the history of Marxism, communism, yeah. um, public, or let's just call it what it is, government education, because they're not really public schools. A public place is a place yeah. that you decide you want to go to, a public restaurant, a public park. Um, mm -hmm. What we call public schools are really government schools, and they yeah. tell us where to go based on our zip code. Um, so it's not something that we necessarily choose, although we do have other options other than the government schools, but it's all in the greater plan. Indoctrinate, yeah. indoctrinate young people in the way you want it to go. So indoctrinate these young people on socialized medicine, communized, communist medicine, Medicare for all, tell them how good it's going to be. Believe me, when I was in pharmacy school, they were preaching that kind of stuff. And unfortunately, yeah. my parents weren't politically astute enough to, to tell me that, oh, no, Sean, this is crazy. So mm -hmm. I was buying it. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, single payer system, universal health care, Clinton care, Hillary care, whatever they called it back then. I'm like, yeah, this is good. And they told us it was going to be good for good for the country and good for pharmacy. And I look back now and I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's all part of the plan. Yeah, I, I want to be I want to be clear that we are we are not just flirting with the idea of becoming a communist nation. We are right now, this minute in the early stages of communism. We are a communist country right now, and that should chill every one of us. And I, I realize that most of us don't have the you know personal experience I had with visiting my family, uh, my aunts and uncles and my grandparents under communism, but I saw it firsthand. If they tried to leave their nation, they were shot. If they tried to flee across the border, they would shoot them. They had armed guards all around the border, and they would shoot them. They were prisoners wow. in their own country. You don't simply flee from your communist country because it is an amazing place to be. You don't leave your family and friends behind and, and flee like my family did. You don't flee because it's amazing. You flee because it has become a living hell. And, and really, that's where we are right now. We are in the early stages of this nation becoming a living hell. When we can't speak freely, we can't control what is going to be injected into our bodies with mandates and with, uh, you know, they have... They keep moving the line of what is acceptable. They keep, you know, uh, teaching our citizens that, you know, yeah, it was okay to mandate this because, yeah, it's experimental and, you know, it had some horrible adverse effects for some people, but, you know, it's fine to mandate it and to not even have that discussion. They've moved the line. So now, now if it happens again in the future, and it will, if we let it, then it's, then it's like, well, we let it happen before. So, of course, it's fine. You know, they've, they've moved that, that line. 
uh, as my mom says, they don't take your freedom away usually overnight mm. as a you know overnight event. They do it incrementally, bit by bit, and they have taken massive chunks of our freedom away from us already. Yeah, and, and you're right. It doesn't happen overnight. It's usually like it, yeah. it and the, and the freedom they take a little bit at once. It doesn't. Yeah. It usually doesn't come back with without a big no. a big change. Um, right. I do have hope, Doctor Moon. Um, you know, one of the fortunate things is, and I and I and I go over these documents quite often, is that we have a Bill of Rights, and yeah. freedom of speech is still very important to this country, and. Um, and I look at the Bill of Rights. That's what makes us different from from a lot of countries, whether it be our northern neighbors or whether it be our southern neighbors or somebody across the world, is that we were founded on different principles and we still do have a Bill of Rights. And we need to realize that. So when we say freedom of speech, it's black and white. It's black and white. We should be able to say what we want to say. Now, there might be repercussions from that, um, but we should have freedom of speech. And here's the thing. Whether, whether somebody agrees with what, what happens to you or what happens to um, other doctors that their license have been sanctioned for prescribing things off-label or whatever, here's the thing that I want to remind people, especially any healthcare professional with a license. Sure, you might not agree with them right now or you might not agree with what they did, but next it could be you for whatever it's, reason. It will be you. It will be you. It's, it's exactly. Right. All of us. Yes. Yeah. The point here is they're coming after all of us. I probably should have mentioned, and I'm not saying this to be whatever, but I just, I'm going to set the stage. I've practiced for over 20 years. I trained at a top U.S. medical school. I passed all my exams on the first try, and I've had no lawsuits against me. I've had a very clean career record. So I'm not some, you know, skirting by physician who, yeah. you know, whatever, just barely passed anything and, and is, you know, has been fired from multiple places because I'm a horrible doctor. That's not me. I, I just want to be clear about that. It, I've, I've done nothing but take care, my best care of patients during the course of my career. Obviously, I'm not perfect and, you know, I've, but I've done my best. And, and so for them to be coming after someone who is simply asking the question of how safe is this, and, and we're in that early muddled stage of communism where, you know, I still can speak out. You know, they're probably not going to show up at my door and arrest me tomorrow but for, for just freedom of speech. But that's what happens next under communist countries is you can't speak out or they come and they throw you into the jail cell for speaking out. And, and we're already starting to flirt with people suggesting that with not just flirt with it, but they're openly saying that, you know, this is really going down a terrifying path. And uh, we, we all need to make it stop. We all need to work together to make this stop. Absolutely. I, I wanted to mention, and you probably, I think he was at Senator Ron Johnson's um, roundtable discussion, Dr. Scott Jensen. Was he, was he there? Not him, so I don't recall if he was there or not. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't meet everybody. <laughs> yeah, he was from Minnesota, and he has been practicing a little bit longer than you, 30 years or so. And for 30 years, ultra clean record, never yeah. one complaint against his license. And yeah. over the last three years, he's had to fight five of them. Mm -hmm. if, yeah. if that doesn't tell you this is politically motivated, it has nothing to do with your clinical skills. It's politically motivated. That's right. You know? um, and and that, that's just a good example. I want to, I loved your analogy about the pilot in the airplane. And I, mm -hmm. I want to, I want to uh, piggyback off of that. Here's another thing about the, you know, if we want to make the analogy of, um, of your physician controlling your healthcare, kind of like a pilot controls the airplane, Yeah. you know, 
and I'm not a pilot, so I'm going to be saying some things that you know I don't know exactly about. But in in general, there's a lot of automated processes in an airplane. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I think for landing and takeoff, I don't think it's completely automated. Maybe it is. I'm not sure about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is always a pilot there for a reason. Because right. when things go bad, mm-hmm. you want that pilot there to to fly that airplane, and he know he or she knows how to fly that airplane. It's the same thing with a physician that is is taking care of a patient. Sure, there are these algorithms, black and white, supposedly, check this box, check this box, go here, go there. But ultimately, you want somebody with knowledge of you as a person that can make critical decisions about your life. That's, That's right. why you have a physician. That's correct. And and so the, the example I give, I'm not anti-protocol actually at all. I think that protocols serve a purpose up to a point. But but they they like you said, they fail when you don't let the uh, the pilot physician take over take over control, right? When you don't allow that. And so for the longest time, children who were children are always admitted every winter with, with something we call bronchiolitis, where they get mm-hmm. an infection that gets down deeper in their lungs. And they're little children, little babies with small airways. And you know, we've we've tried over the course of my career, I've seen many medications try and fail. And, you know, so but more recently they came out with a protocol, this was prior to COVID, about how to treat babies with bronchiolitis. And and most of them actually don't respond to albuterol breathing treatments. Most of them don't. But there's a subgroup that clearly do. And those of us who are experienced know that. Uh, you know, if I were to follow strictly the protocol for every little baby that comes in and not give them albuterol, then I would have kids a lot sicker then, then if I make the decision with this one, I'm going to try albuterol. And with this one, I'm going to try albuterol because they have, and usually what I go by is they have a family history of asthma. So that baby, even though they're only four months old, may very well have asthma that has just never been diagnosed because of their age, their young age. So I've kept plenty of babies out of the intensive care unit that were about to go down to the ICU because they couldn't breathe. And I've, I've had our, our staff give them albuterol and it turns them around. And so, but to, to prevent physicians from doing that, as that protocol rolled out, they began to prevent some of us from doing that. Oh, you can't do that, they said. And I said, like, heck, I can't. Why wouldn't I? I've done it my yeah. whole career. It's, it's possibly going to help this child and there's no harm. So it's dangerous when we don't let physicians have control of the wheel when they need to control that admission, that health care. Because every person's an individual, right? And so I fully agree with you. And, and, uh, we don't want to be raising fearful physicians, training fe- fearful physicians who are afraid to deviate from from whatever protocol because they might lose their job. Then who is running your healthcare? Is it the physician or is it the non-physician administrator that's telling you what to do? Is it the non-physician uh, person sitting in some regulatory agency who came up with this protocol and who hasn't taken care of a, a patient of that age, I, Right. This is not yeah. what we want to see to that extent. Yeah. Well, and I think over the last couple of decades, one thing I've seen, and I've talked to my physician friends many times about this, and I appreciate you standing up and, and speaking mm-hmm. out, is that physicians need to take back health care. Um, yeah. You know, when I first got out of pharmacy school uh, 30, 30 years ago, Physicians were in charge. Yeah. I mean, they, they were. I mean, when you looked at a major healthcare organization or a major hospital or even a small hospital, 
um, physicians basically they they call the shots, yeah. not the administrator. They told the administrator what they wanted if they were a surgeon or or whatever. They told the administrator what they wanted, and usually they got it. Yeah. And and now it's totally opposite, and it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, administrators should not be telling physicians what to do. Now, I think part of it is is that just what you were we talking about early on in this podcast is that. The schools are not admitting physicians or, or admitting um, students that are critical thinkers, and they don't let them be critical thinkers. So they are they are primed to be controlled when they get out of medical school. 30 years ago, it wasn't that way. Physicians were very independent and using independent practice, and, and, and they weren't going to be told what to do, and for good thing. I mean, you know, you guys are the most highly educated people in the nation. You guys should control healthcare. Who else should? I mean, seriously. So you guys need to really take it back. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. We sold our souls when we became yeah. employees. Yeah. We became employees of these healthcare institutions who then increasingly began to tell us what to do. And and coming back to the students again, you know, we do have a lot of students who are still in the in their training you know, they still are critical thinkers, but they're not allowed to critically think because the system silences them and it pushes them into this this uh, this cage of not being able to to say th- certain things. I, I've had students come up to me and say, "What are we supposed to do? We're we can't speak. We have no freedom of speech." I mean, they're missing it too. We need to really open this back up again to to the way it was when I trained. We my professors would say all sorts of things, and sometimes I agreed, and sometimes I didn't when it came to ethical you know, or viewpoints or perspectives, but that's how you decide what your own perspective is. Uh, But, but back to the control by the hospitals and administrators, I want to give the example of what's happening also nationwide in that, again, physicians are actually being fired for having informed consent discussions with their families about the, about the COVID-19 shots is where it's come to a head. So I have one colleague who has stayed, um, Uh, anonymous at this point, but gave me a copy of the letter that her employer sent her. Her employer had a sit down with her and told her that she should not be telling patients anything but safe and effective when it comes to the COVID-19 shot for kids. She should not be saying anything else, despite the fact that CDC website clearly states a bunch of adverse reactions that we all know exist from this product, right? Despite that, she had a letter that said her behavior needed to improve. And if her behavior, and by behavior, they meant you you do what we say yeah. with, with this patient. And so her behavior didn't improve. She continued to have true informed consent discussions with the families, and she was ultimately fired over it. And this has happened multiple, multiple times nationwide. As So, so physicians are very much controlled by their employers, and, and that is very uh, frightening. That is not what I want for my own health care. You don't want it. None of us want that. Right. And that's why we all have to speak out. They um, they do control us in a way that is uh, not sustainable. Yeah. So as we wipe the as we wind this podcast up, Dr. Moon, um, wh- where do we go from here? What what can what can the average person do to to, to stop this um, from going down this road? I think right now my my intent is to let the average person know that it's happening, that this is happening. Because if you don't know that it's happening, you can do nothing, right? So my, my first goal here is to make sure that people understand that this is happening and we need your support. So we need you, please, every person out there right now, uh, what I'm hearing from people is, well, what, what can I do? I'm just one person. 
you are one person, but one plus one is two, two plus two is four, and and we we hit the millions, okay? We need every last one of you to be really loud right now. We need you writing to these uh, medical boards. They are, for example, right now coming after Dr. John Littell, L-I-T-T-E-L-L in Florida. For just He's a wonderful physician who's practiced for decades. And because he spoke out, they're now uh, pulling his uh, board certification or trying to pull it. We need these boards to hear from us loud and clear. We need you to be noisy. We need you to be loud. We need you to reach out to your medical schools and say, this is not tolerable. We we expect some sort of say in, in how our students, our future doctors, that we are taxpayer funding their educations, how they are being taught. We want freedom of speech back in our medical schools. Uh, we don't want threats against our professors. And again, this is happening nationwide. So wherever you're listening, pick a state, pick multiple states, write to these medical schools, let them hear you, let your legislators hear you. Uh, we need to be loud because our voices, you know, one one at a time, our voices are tiny, but together we are very loud. And we also need you to wake up your neighbors to what is happening. This is happening worldwide. Look at Australia, look at Europe, look at Canada. Uh, I have met people who have fled from Canada. They're political refugees from Canada. They've lost their freedom in Canada. This is a worldwide issue. It's time to wake America up to what's happening we need to not focus on the divisions between us that they have intentionally created, but we need to laser focus on what is ultimately happening, which is they're trying to take, and they have taken too much of our freedom away already. So please, please join in. I agree with you 100%. And I wanted to, early on, I, I had a comment that you just reminded me about when you said Canada is... Um, yeah. I, I've been invited to speak in May uh, in British Columbia, Canada, um, and they want me to speak yeah. on healthcare and they want me to speak about the differences between the Canadian system and, and the United States system. So I was preparing a speech and I pretty much realized there's not really a lot of difference. Um, so when you say we are going towards communism, I mean, we are basically at socialized medicine, let's face it. Um, well, we're in communism right now. Right. We're in it. When it comes to medicine, especially, um, 75% of all medical care is paid for by a state or federal agency. That's pretty close to universal health care, you know, really close. Um, the good news is, is that you know, we do have options. We have free market options. And I love that. And I don't think that is going to change. Um, but it was just interesting when I was preparing that speech. Um, and, you know, the Canadians wanted to know a way to get around it, to get around out of their system. And really, it's no different than what I tell Americans how to get out of our system. It's the same thing. So um, really, we're not that, that much farther away. Um, the beauty is, is that we have the Bill of Rights, um, whereas they don't. So, you know, when they were told to lock down and their country was stealing gas from them and told the truckers they couldn't go anywhere, that didn't happen in this country. The lockdowns did, but they weren't locked down and people stealing gas from them. And I don't think that that would happen in our country because it wouldn't go over very well. Yeah, we need to realize that we're only as free as we, we, we only have the freedom that we uh, that we hold tight to. That's, that's the freedom that we have. If we just give away our freedom, it's gone. And and um, I do want to give one uh, last example because I forgot and I wanted to mention this. One of the, one of the schools where I have t 
taught for a long time. I, again, I have multiple affiliations, but uh, also wanted to see, uh, wanted me to uh, comply with turning in my vaccine records. And I, I told them, I said, I'm not going to comply with that because my family fled from a situation where you had to show your papers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing that here. In this has nothing to do with my ability to care for patients. This has you know, this this shot doesn't stop infection or transmission. So this has nothing to do with my, you know, this is my own personal healthcare choice is what my point is. And this school sent me a memo saying that uh, unless I complied with showing my vaccine papers, I was not allowed to give the lecture to students by Zoom, by Zoom that I was scheduled to yep. give the following week. This is that if that doesn't tell you clearly, this is about our right. our need to obey our employers, then that that is that clearly tells you it's about my failure to obey them. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have to stop obeying this this tyranny. It's it's tyrannical. We are already communists right now. It's it's and it gets worse from here. It does not stay good. It gets yeah, worse. If, if if that's not communism, I don't know what is. And and I've got examples. I don't know what Right. I've got examples of that where patients would come into the pharmacy and they say, well, can you believe XYZ clinic? They, they made me show vaccine status um, or get a mm-hmm. vaccine for a virtual appointment. I mean, I, I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that is not oh, about virtual appointments. Right. No, we're not, we're not doing this America. We're not becoming communists. We're already there. We're backing out of this. We're climbing back up the cliff and we're getting out of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, Dr. Moon, thank you so much. Our goal is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. And we have you've helped us realize that goal. So thank you so much. Um, Listeners and viewers, you're welcome. Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. And one of the fixes Mm -hmm. is this is in free market options. Uh, And Monday, you want to tune in to our regularly scheduled podcast, 1230 to 130. Gail Breck will be talking about changing healthcare from the bottom up and using direct primary care where you get out of the system. So you don't want to miss out on that because you can learn how to liberate yourself from the system uh, and you don't have to go through all the hoops and you have a personal doctor that will listen to you instead of being told what to do by some administrators. So thank you for listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much for tuning in. 